truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Greetings and welcome to today's Steve Dace Show. Happy Thursday to all of you. I am Steve Dace. Aaron McIntyre and Todd Erzin, they're here too. If you would like to join us. 888-933-93 is the number. That's 888-933-93. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can listen to the program or email it. I don't think you can listen there, but you can email it. You know what's wrong with me today? Is I'm, what's I'm, up? I'm getting back into music because football season's over. You know? So I've, I've, I've got like, I almost dropped a, a reference to Come Dancing by the Kinks because I'm listening to the 80s channel on Sirius XM. I'm just... So let me try that again, all right? This is what happens as you get older. You can't, I used to be, I could do four things at once while doing this show. Now I'm down, I can only do like three and a half, all right? So let me, let me try it again. I mean, we're, we're all getting older, okay? You can email the program, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. That's D-E-A-C-E uh, is how you can spell the last name. Coming up here, it is a Theology Thursday. You're gonna get a full hour of it next hour, uh, and uh, three non-political questions here at the bottom of the hour. But before we get to all of that, here's Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by a whimper. That's exactly how the impeachment of President Donald Trump ended yesterday as the Senate acquitted Trump of the articles of impeachment brought about by the House of Representatives. The vote was strictly along party lines, with one exception, Senator Pierre Delecto of Utah. Democrats are handling it well. Protesters outside the Capitol attempted to scream at the senators through an electrical conduit tunnel. 97% of precincts are now reporting from the Iowa Democrat caucuses, which took place earlier this week. Pete Buttigieg and Bernie Sanders are in a virtual tie. Buttigieg has 26.2% of the vote and Sanders has 26.1%. Buttigieg has a three-state delegate lead, however. Elizabeth Warren remains in third at 18.2%. Joe Biden is in a disastrous fourth place at 158 And Amy Klobuchar is in fifth at 12.2%. Yesterday, the Iowa Democrat Party was forced to correct some of the results that they had released after an elected official from Black Hawk County went public with the actual results from his county and stated that the Iowa Democrat Party had misreported his county's results in favor of Pete Buttigieg when Bernie Sanders had actually won. Candidates are back on the campaign trail, this time in New Hampshire. I am not going to sugarcoat it. We took a gut punch in Iowa. The whole process took a gut punch. But the, the fact is, this was really an avoidable error that shot the party in the foot. And it's going to be harder to convince Americans that we can entrust massive systems with government if we can't count votes on the same night in a way that's clear, transparent, and reliable. Senator Sanders is a nominee for the party. Every Democrat in America up and down the ballot in blue states, red states, purple states, it's easy and easy districts and competitive ones. Every Democrat will have to carry the label Senator Sanders has chose for himself, chosen for himself. He calls him, and I don't criticize him, he calls himself a democratic socialist. How do you give a speech, State of the Union speech, and not mention climate change when the leading scientists of the world tell us that climate change is the greatest existential threat facing humanity. Mayor Pete likes to attack me as well, and he's a good man. He calls himself a 
of, he talk, calls me part of the old failed Washington. Is he really saying that Obama-Biden administration was a failure? Pete, just say it out loud. Uh, I have enormous regard for those achievements. Uh, I mean, uh, if you look at what President Obama was able to do with two terms, it's extraordinary. The bulk of the credit for the achievements of the Obama administration belong with President Obama. Do you believe that the men in this race have a better chance of beating Trump solely because of their gender? (laughs) I believe they may think so, but they'd be wrong. (laughs) President Trump spoke at the National Prayer Breakfast this morning. For those of you listening, what we're watching is Trump entering the venue and holding up a newspaper with the front page headline reading, Acquitted. He also made these comments. America is eternally in the debt of our nation's African-American churches. I don't like people who use their faith as justification for doing what they know is wrong. Nor do I like people who say, I pray for you when they know that that's not so. And finally, in case you're wondering how the Iowa caucuses got so screwed up, this video of the worst coin flip in the history of coin flips should help you understand. When you're watching, then flip it over. Heads. Buttigieg. All right, so Buttigieg will get three delegates. And that's what happened while we were away. Can we discuss dude code violations? <laughs> Coin flips. To paraphrase the great prophet Andrew Yang, how yeah. and why would we trust them with massive, central planned, coercive government when they can't flip a coin? There's Montage brought to you by our friends over at Books. Guys, don't faceplant. All right? Don't be the Iowa caucus app of Valentine's Day, guys. Don't do it. I know. I know. She's telling you right now she, she doesn't need anything, right? Just like she told you, sure. Go out with your friends for a fourth night in a row. How'd that turn out? Right? So, um, it, it's and even if she's saying that, doesn't mean she doesn't deserve something. And not to, not to worry. We can make it very easy and simple for you that even you, yes, I'm talking to you, who can't flip a coin, you can't screw this up. All right? Books has you covered. That's B-O-U-Q-S. That's how it's spelled, as in bouquets. B-O-U-Q-S has you covered. If you go to books.com slash Steve, you get farm fresh sustainable sourced flowers for next or same day delivery that are absolutely gorgeous. We've had these at our house as well. And you can order today and get 25% off your entire Valentine's Day purchase. Again, that's B as in boy, O-U-Q-S dot com slash Steve. All right. And they don't just have beautiful roses there as well. Uh, They've got all kinds of other bouquets, plants, gifts, uh, sweet treats too. All right. You'll get them all right there at B-O-U-Q-S dot com slash Steve. 25% off your order right now. Books.com slash Steve. Don't say I didn't warn you. All right. Balls in your court, men. Let's get to uh, let, let's let's get to the montage and and, and a couple of things that I, I think have to be addressed is the the Iowa Democratic Party being corrected by the supervise, county supervisor in its own party from Blackhawk. For those of you that don't know, it's one of the largest counties in Iowa. 
Um, Waterloo, Cedar Falls, two of the larger towns in Iowa are in that county. Um, one of the largest universities in our state, the University of Northern Iowa, is in that county. Um, one of the largest black populations yes. is in that county. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah. Um, particularly with the Waterloo area. Yeah. yeah. And if you're a basketball, college basketball fan, you've probably heard the name Northern Iowa a few times over the years. So they kind of rise up every third years to every three or four years to ruin some big schools, NCAA tournament. Okay. What was his name? Like a mesh, a maca. Yeah. Hit the shot. Farouk Manesh or yeah, something Farouk, like that. Yeah. 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 That wrecked uh, yeah. Kansas. And then they wrecked like a number one Missouri team when, when we were kids. They've, they've done this a couple of times. And they're having a good year this year. This is a, this is not some podunk rural Iowa county out in the middle of nowhere, like what happened with Santorum and Romney, where there where it, very few people voted. It's razor thin, and and they and the Wi-Fi goes down, and they've got to drive in the results from rural. Iowa. This is a college town, one of the most diverse urban communities in the entire state of Iowa, one of the largest counties in the state of Iowa. Okay, if they if they if they jacked with the count in Black Hawk County, you have to ask yourself now, what did they what did they do here statewide? And and I think we are now approaching because the more they count and the more the more the corrections come in. Have you noticed the closer it gets to the numbers Bernie Sanders released on caucus night <laughs> from his own internal count? Have you noticed that? I mean, he's picked up nearly two full points of support. So the, since, since yesterday, when we were doing this show and they put out 70% of the, of the results, and now more and more corrections are coming in and things of that, and it, uh, corrections are coming in. He's picked, I told you guys yesterday, I mean, I, 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 my experience tells me it's not likely to pick up two points in the last 20, 30% of precincts. I mean, it can happen. You know, like we saw it in the Cuccinelli McAuliffe race in Virginia back in 2013, I think it was. But that's because the last, you know, couple of precinct, percentage of precincts were left were from predominantly black Democratic strongholds where you knew McAuliffe was going to rack up obscenely large margins, right? We don't necessarily have places like that in Iowa. So I told you yesterday on the show, I, I thought it was not likely that, not impossible, okay, but not likely that Bernie Sanders would make that up. He's almost made it up totally since I said that it wasn't likely he was going to make it up. <laughs> okay. I mean, you're getting corrected by people internally in your own party. They've come, they, this is the party of repeal the electoral college. And they devised a system where Bernie Sanders has the most votes overall. He received the most votes on the first and second counts, but is now being told that he is going to have to split Iowa's 41 delegates with Pete Buttigieg. Because of proportionment. Do you know what proportionment is another is another word for? Do you, do you guys know? Come on, do, you, do you know what proportionment in, in electioneering is a is a is a fancy word for? Um, electoral college. That's that's what it's a fancy word for. Is electoral college and they came up with one in Iowa. And it just so happened to screw the guy that they don't want to be their nominee who in January raised more money than any Democratic candidate has in a single month so far. He's doing Mike Bloomberg-like ad buys now for Super Tuesday because Soviets yeah. plan ahead, okay? 
this entire news cycle, I'm that guy with the lawn chair gif who just puts it out and watching this. Amazing. Yep. He is, folks. <laughs> he is inevitable. Jeremy Corbyn is inevitable. And 538, good old Nate Silver with the terrible comb over. Who really hasn't been right about anything. He's made it. Dude, I got to give him props, man. Okay, he's kind of a poor man's Mel Kiper Jr. And you guys know I love me my Mel Kiper Jr. He turned being a shut-in into an expert in football. That's like my life dream. I've been trying to emulate it since I was 12. All right. Um, But Nate Silver is kind of your poor man's Mel Kiper Jr. He got one thing right ever. And that was he called the 2012 presidential election almost down to the, the, the point totals of the Electoral College and the popular vote for Obama. And he parlayed that into a gig with the New York Times. And then, and then, ES, then he sold 538 to ESPN. And, and now and he, and, and he's, his, this is his whole life. He hasn't like been right about anything since then. But, but he nailed that. And, you know, He's proven Andy Warhol was off by a few minutes. You know, Andy Warhol once famously said everybody's famous for at least 15 minutes. I mean, Nate Silver, he's gone into overtime. Like I saw him, I was, I was, I was checking Twitter when I got home from church Sunday and so, and I'll often see what the Sunday show roundup was just to see if there's anything really interesting, important or dumb that was said that, that I know we're going to discuss on Monday show. And I saw that he was on one of the big Sunday shows. I saw the clip going around. All right. Well, he has been adamant this whole cycle that the polling is right and Joe Biden will be the nominee. And they're putting out their odds of who the nominee is going to be. And they were just, they were just even adamant about this as recent as last week. And five minutes, literally as the, as the intro music to the show was beginning here this morning or afternoon, depending on which time zone you're listening to us or watching us today. Updated 538 forecast from Nate Silver. 60%, is that what it is? Or is it 59? 59% odds Bernie Sanders is going to be the Democratic nominee. Uncommitted is actually in second place. I do it again. He is inevitable. And everything that they have done this week, all of the various machinations, you're playing, you've played gloriously right into his hands. Okay? You don't know what you're up against. Can I tell him? Tell all. I, I'm, I'm going to tell him. Okay? And, and it, at this point, anytime you see anybody in your, in your social media feeds sharing Iowa caucus results, just just reply, hashtag, assume you're being lied to. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. But I don't know if they're ready to hear it, though. You think they're ready to hear this? Got to rip off the Band-Aid. It, it gets better, Steve. I've, gets se- better. I've, I've seen this before. I lived this. I know what this is. He is, the, he is your judgment against your political party. That's why he's inevitable. He is, and, and here's what you're going to do. Before I tell you specifically, what you guys are going to do is you're going to have a few people come out. Joe Biden fired the first warning shots on this yesterday. Of course, he's talking about wearing the label of socialist when his 
chief campaign spokeswoman is a woman I used appeared on TV with a couple of times named Simone Sanders. And the reason we appeared on TV together is because she was the national campaign spokeswoman, spokeswoman for Bernie Sanders in the last cycle. But Gumby's concerned about wearing the label socialist, okay? I've seen all this. I've seen this before. Oh, yes. Just as Donald Trump was an instrument of judgment against the Republican Party in 2016. And that's why when the elder statesman came out, the Mitt Romneys to condemn him, we'll have more on Willard here in a minute too. Didn't work. That's why it didn't work. But strengthened him all the more. Because people were not unaware of who or what that Donald Trump was. Most people that voted for him weren't. There, there's some cultish, you know, cult of celebrity stuff, and we talked about that at the time and have always pointed that out. But by and large, Trump's support in the Republican primary came from, and I had to wrestle with this, and I really didn't understand it until the process was over. Because when, when you're competing against somebody, particularly if you really believe in the cause that you're lined up with against them. It's, it's, I try as best I can. The reason why I warn you guys all the time about not going with constructs and generalizations, because I've done this mistake myself. That's why. And as much as I wanted to believe that the average Trump voter in the 2016 Republican primary was that toothless dude in Indiana just living out a scene in idiocracy, okay, with uh, Goldman Sachs, Goldman Sachs to Trump. I, I wanted, I need, you know why? Because I needed to believe that. And that's an element of his base that's not deniable. But I, I needed to believe that was the average Trump voter in the primary. Because I, I was crushed that we lost. And it wasn't until many, many months went by and the disappointment subsided. And it's what I wrote in Truth Bombs. He is the judgment. He was, in the end now I can see, Trump was always inevitable. There's some things we could have done differently. I'll never get over how we blew the whole, we stole Iowa from Ben Carson thing. Mainly because I just can't abide dumb. When, when people wearing, I'm wearing a jersey with are just dumb, I can't get over that. But in the end, he was inevitable. He was always going to win. Because it's what the Republican Party deserved it's what they deserved and then you know what you guys are going to get what you deserve here oh you'll scheme and plot you will you'll try yes you will (laughs) and you're going to fail because he is inevitable he is exactly what you guys have catered to, played footsie with, winked and nodded and invited in. You let the wrong one in. Let the wrong one in. And now suddenly, the camel's tail is under the tent. That's the last, that's the last part of the body for those of you that 
don't know chromosomes and genders and real science. That means the whole damn thing's under the tent. And the camel has stuck his neck up. He's holding the tent up, actually. Without the camel, there would be no tent. This is what's coming. It is inevitable. You have brought this on yourselves. And let me recycle something I often said four years ago. Dr. Frankenstein always ends up hating the monster that he created. Enjoy. You have a pumpkin spice glow about you right I now. I do. I do. You know why? Because I'm, I'm just finally at peace with all of this. It took a while, but I'm at peace with all of it now. Especially now that I have all kinds of new friends. I'm going to be damn it. Yes, I've got all kinds of new friends. Yes. Yes. You know, I've, I've been holding this like Romney Truther Club meeting. There's been like five of us on an email chain since about 2007. I have had Romney uh, Republicans try to take me off national platforms, local radio here in Des Moines. I, I've spent more than 10 years of my life with beyond uh, frustration and angst and hate that people in the Republican Party had for me for telling you the truth about Mitt Romney all this time. All this time. And now, all, now, I, you know what? I don't, want it, I don't want it to be said that I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So, I will gladly and ever so magnanimously accept your, your apologies and exhortations for leniency. I will accept them now. You know, the, the, there's a reason that guys like me and Daniel Horowitz have, and others have done what we've done the last few years. It has nothing to do with wanting the Democrats to win, folks. It's been, it's been wanting to not let the Democrats in! You, you, take a letter off! It's not about letting the Democrats win. It's about not letting them in. What is the point of winning elections just to get all of the policies we would have gotten if we had won or lost anyway? What is the point then? Why make all these enemies? What are we doing then? It's just a sports team. This ought to be more serious than that. And if you now have decided, you know, I was so, we were so concerned on our show a few years ago. with the willingness to bend principle for Cheeto Jesus saves. The pendulum has swung way the other way now. I mean, there are people right now, I respect, I think they're smart. Some I know and like, 
that are right now, because Orange Man Bad, retconning Mitt Romney as a profile in courage. He's always been a craven political hack opportunist. And I left you some, just a few morsels from my goodie bag yesterday on my Twitter feed at Steve Day Show. Mitt Romney going after nuns before Obama did. Mitt Romney, Mitt Romney tisk tisk. I'm sorry we have to shut down the Catholic charities that don't want to do gay adoptions, but um, it, it, it's a tough break. I wish it weren't so, but uh, sucks for you kids. Good luck finding a home. Mitt Romney telling Jan Brewer, the Arizona governor, a few years ago to veto that homophobic legislation that would have protected you from bake the cake bigot. And then there's a video, I mean, Mitt Romney on climate change. Pick an issue, guns. Pick an issue. I signed an assault weapons ban as governor of Massachusetts. A year later, I want to run for president. Now I'm a lifelong member of the NRA. Which, by the way, you buy that, guys. That, that, I, not if you don't have an NRA member. You, I don't know what they do now. But at the time, that was something you bought. was a lifelong membership. It, he made it sound in his ads, though, like he had been like bestowed this. Okay? The guy's a freaking hack. And he always has been. And if my career is a testimony to anything, it's that this guy's a hack. Because the way I've survived all these years, because that was my very first political fight, taking him on. If I didn't have the truth on my side, I'd have been squashed like a bug against the Republican machine a long, long time ago. You actually said out loud. I dare If I'm lying about any of this, I will quit my job right now. You said that on air. Yes. No one's ever disproven any of this. He was a terrible governor. He brought gay marriage to America. That was the legal analysis Phyllis Schlafly made at the time before he was even running for president. She made that analysis. She chose to obey, he chose to obey the Goodridge decision rather than his own state constitution, which said courts cannot make the law. I could go on. I've, 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 I, I know this all chapter and verse. The hack of hacks. The absolute biggest political hack I've ever encountered in my career in either party. And the guy would not even eat a damn chicken sandwich to beat Barack Obama on Chick-fil-A day, if you remember that. This isn't new. This is who he's always been. He's always hated the conservative base. After he lost in 2008, he spent the next four years, you didn't see him at Tea Party rallies. You didn't see him at, at the March for Life. Between 2008 and 2012, he wanted nothing to do with us. That's why he dissed the whole Chick-fil-A day when it, during the general election. He's always hated you. That's why he hates Trump. Same reason Nancy Pelosi hates Trump is the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the networks and everything else is the same reason Mitt Romney does. Because they really hate you. Two days before the 2012 election, he ran pro-choice ads. In five states, Iowa being one of them, he lost every last one. Iowa, Virginia, just every, every state he ran one, he lost. The hack of hacks. The absolute worst craven political opportunist I have seen run for a major office in my career. And now, we're just lining up to tell the truth. Better late than never. My hope is, can we learn this lesson once? One time. Read your Cicero. The traitor inside the city gate is far worse than the invading horde on the outside. Jesus, the wisest man who ever lived, didn't have to tell you, watch out for the wolf. 
Even Duran Duran knows to run from the wolf. He said, watch out for the wolf in the sheep's clothing. Hack. He's always been a hack. This is nothing new. This is, and it's the ultimate brand too. How do you, and by the way, how do you know that this isn't a principled stand? Look at the count. See, no one else is pointing this out, so I'll do it. Look at the count that he, he voted for yesterday and not the count that he, and, and the one they did not. The actual case is that Trump was in contempt, what was a contempt or something of Congress? Because it was in the Mueller report that Trump told his people to go down to, and, and, and lie to Congress. That, and that was what, ju- that was what tr- triggered Justin Amash, right? See, that's the one that Romney voted not guilty on. The absolute stupidest one is the one he voted guilty on. Nothing's more Mitt Romney, who John McCain once said feels strongly about both sides of every issue. Can, is, you, is it peak Romney to vote yes and no? On the same issue. And then vote no on the one that there might even be a little merit to yes. And yes on the one there's no merit to it. They're good grief. Can we stop taking in these traitors and being bought off by them? And putting them on the cover of our magazines. The next Reagan. Hell no. This is why we've done these things over the last few years. It's not so that the Democrats win. It's so that we don't let them in. Hey, if you're unhappy with your smile and you're tired of feeling self-conscious in photos, why not make this the year you straighten your teeth with our friends over at Candid. They deliver clear aligners directly to you and straighten your teeth for 65% less than braces cost. And unlike braces, Candid clear aligners are comfortable, removable, totally invisible too, and you can transform your smile without anyone ever noticing a thing. Plus, you never have to set foot in a doctor's office or a waiting room. Your treatment is prescribed remotely by a licensed orthodontist, and Candid delivers everything you need right to your door. And unlike other companies that have a a similar uh, MO, Candid only works with orthodontists, never general dentists. That means your treatment is designed by a specialist, an expert in tooth movement with over 20 years of experience on average. So if you're ready to take the first step, you've got a wedding coming up this year, another special event. Something else, or it's just, it's time for you to address this. If you're ready to take that first step towards straighter teeth for a limited time, you can get started right now with $75 off by using the code TRUTHBOMBS at CandidCo.com. Use the offer code TRUTHBOMBS at Candid, C-A-N-D-I-D, like Candid Camera back in the day. Aaron's like, what is that? Uh, CandidCo.com slash TRUTHBOMBS. CandidCo.com slash TRUTHBOMBS. Get $75 off right now. By using the code TRUTHBOMBS at CandidCo.com slash TRUTHBOMBS. Let's get to three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. I liked Candid Camera. 
I remember that barely. You do remember it barely. I barely okay. remember. Didn't wasn't there a studio audience as well? Yeah, for it, that it's show? come back several times. There, I think Betty White actually brought it back just a few really? years ago, didn't she? I have no idea. Yeah, it, it's had several iterations over the years. I, even going back to before, I think you and I were even born. I think it's even older than that. So oh, I remember sure. being really young, and they gave a kid in the audience a candy, a candy camera, which I was incredibly jealous of. But that's that's all I remember of candid camera, other than just people getting caught in in funny moments. Um, uh, three non-political questions because we need a break from the. Um, as I said before, a Midwestern tornado of the fecal variety that still continues to happen here in Iowa. Just a few minutes ago, Tom Perez, DNC chairman, calling for a re-canvassing of Iowa. Are you kidding me? So three non-political questions. Should we change our off. state's name to Chad? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, first question, Steve, I've got, there's different iterations for, for, both of the, for, okay. for both of you. Steve, if you had to give up one of these categories of things, which would you give up? Anything with a screen on it or sports fandom? Oh, um, this is a tough question because I would give up anything with a screen on it. Well, no, because that means, wow, that that's pretty much other than my family. Everything I do is in those two things. So. I, the answer should be sports fandom, but it it helps to keep me sane because my fear is if I didn't have sports fandom, because you guys know I, I need a competitive outlet, okay? And if I didn't have sports fandom, I would I I'd let, I'd become obsessed with this, and I I'd, I'd have a far more difficult time maintaining some layer of objectivity if if beyond just you know tribalism, because I would get totally into the competitive aspect of this totally into it like overwhelmed by it I'd, I'd be team you know us versus them all the way that's just the way that i'm wired and so my sports fandom is kind of a check and balance on that but if you give off screens you're the entirety of your sports fandom has to be that northwestern weekend in chicago you have yeah. to be going to not all- to mention i don't know how i would do what i do for a living so i guess i'll give up sports fandom because I, I th- what I do for a living provides us an opportunity to have more important conversations, like Theology Thursday that we're going to do next hour. And even though there would, the sports fandom would, would, would absolutely raise the inherent risk that I'd become far more competitively tribalistic in my politics, there's still the, the, the potential of doing good with uh, greater goods with things like theology Thursday with even with that risk. So I I'd give up the sports fandom, but that's really, really difficult. Yeah. This was, it was designed to be so Todd, did you have something you wanted to chime in on? Everybody pray God. He never has to make that choice. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Todd, if you had to give up the Badgers or the Packers, which would it be? Are we just talking football? No, all all sports, all Badgers versus. I'd I'd give up the Packers, I think, and not because it's it's lesser. That's why I asked the way it, you get more uh, out of the Badgers. And right now, I mean, if you would have asked me on a different day, but I'm like, 
I'm kind of Aaron Rodgers out. So there's that too. You know, he, I'm going to make him my new thing. Every time there's like a terrible fiend, like that illegal uh, alien last week who raped his, uh, yeah. his girlfriend's uh, two kids and, and gave one of them STDs, like young kids. Yeah, yeah. Every time we get one of those stories now, I am going, he's going to be my new go back or a fallback. But Aaron Rodgers doesn't, doesn't, want, doesn't believe there, there ought to be a hell. I mean, I mean what, it, what an, it, it's just a mind numbingly, it, you have to become self-righteously arrogant with, with, a, with a Pharaoh-esque hardened heart yeah. to articulate that dumb. And if you take that outside of the realm of theology, but just apply that to how he must be overall, you can't, you, you can't help but think this. this I, I mean, Mike McCarthy was not a great football coach. I was kind of ahead of the curve on, listen, he, he wasn't terrible or anything like that, but I just don't think he was in the top third of uh, NFL uh, football coaches, generally speaking. I just don't. But... Aaron Rodgers has so much to do, as much as any man, including Mike McCarthy, or why there's been only one trip to a Super Bowl. I think that level of ridiculousness that Steve is talking about just threads through him as a leader. Estranged from his family and yeah, everything else. Yeah, and that, exactly. I, I, that, I agree with that. that it does, and, and it's it's more important that court, at the position he plays than yes. any other, the kinds of things we're talking about. And let me clarify one thing since I went there. I think it's an absolutely legitimate argument, and it's one that I struggled with before I became a Christian for many years. So I can live a fairly good life. I can die in service and in valor, but if I don't, if I don't believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, God still sends me to hell. That's not the argument Aaron Rodgers is making. I, I, think, you, I, think, I think people of, that are sincere truth seekers and critical thinkers can, be, can struggle with that question and that debate. I'm not... And I'm and I'm 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 happy having that debate, by the way, and, and helping people make sense of it if and when it comes it's up. It's a classic debate yeah, of Orthodox but, Christianity. Yeah, yes, but that that I understand. Okay, that's not what Aaron Rodgers said last week. I mean, what he rejected categorically was the existence of hell itself. That there would be a place of ultimate divine justice. Okay, and that I I, I can't imagine the level of self righteous dumb you have to you have to be to say that um, a guy who is unrepentant about raping two little girls and giving one of them an STD years before they even have their first period. I, I, I mean, the fact that you haven't thought, this guy got into Berkeley, by the way, so he's really smart in a worldly, era, worldly level. The fact that you're not, this is what a hardened heart does, that you're not willing to think out ultimately your own position, but you're just going to react viscerally, emotionally, Okay. He's a perfect embodiment of secular progressivism. Yes, absolutely. Yep. All right. Question number two. If someone could tell you the exact day and time that you were going to die, would you want them to tell you? It's a little macabre, but I'm interested to hearing your response. No. Tell me why your answer is no. Uh, I, I, I guess on. The first thing that popped in my head, it's a similar, I guess, to what I, I didn't want to know the, the uh, sex of, uh, of my children. Uh, the game of life requires, uh, a, as a Christian, requires, uh, or you have to understand that you see through a glass darkly. 
you you must put your hands your fate in the hands of a god and give him control and that's there's there's too much knowing uh in that that i think we we are not equipped as human beings to face because it's different than if you have a you have cancer you have five months to live i mean that's just part of the mortal coil we get that even when we're children we our lives are not infinite we are going to die that that's just a tightened version of that but to 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 know the day and the time you're going to die it, it's this it's almost like it, it's the conundrums you talk about in time travel movies there's there's you can't but make a mess of that, I don't think. See, I I actually am going to go the other way. Be, now, I, I think the rationale you gave for your answer is sound, but I'm going to use the same rationale to give to take the other side. Because one of the things that is that I'm becoming more self-aware is a great struggle for me is... Taking, taking God's grace, taking advantage of God's grace today, being complacent with it, um, being complacent with family or situations. Well, you know, we'll handle that another time. And being, I, I, I am, I'm the kind of person. Just again, my own self awareness. When, when I did my initial massive weight loss years ago in local radio, all the salespeople were like, "Well, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do the. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna have the program, and then you're gonna be successful. And then, or if, and then if you're successful, we'll talk about it on the radio." I said, "That's exactly how I won't be successful. I, I need the pressure. I need it. I need competition. I need pressure." I need to be challenged. And so I'm going to go on the radio today and announce this before I do a single day of this program. And they were paranoid. Well, what happened? We're, this is a huge client. If it doesn't work out and you'll follow through, I go, this is how I'm going to follow through. Okay? Because when I get in the line at the fa- my favorite deli here in town, packed at lunch hour, and people know who I am, they're going to, hey, people are coming up to me. You're holding me accountable. I, I need that. I have to have that. And for me, I, I think it would, I, I definitely think it would make me a better person, husband, father, follower, to be constantly reminded. I mean, I know, I know philosophically I'm on borrowed time. I know that. But to, to have that constant accountability mechanism um, would, would help me to truly remember to redeem the time. So I, I would want to know. I, I, can I this is not pushback this is mm-hmm. just that this is these are fascinating discussions when you have to have but this is aren't, aren't we right in the guts of you are not to know the day or the hour on a different level I mean that's speaking you can see that that's that's meant to be a more 1000 foot level but if you bring it right into your face I we that's what I meant we're not equipped to hand I know I, I totally jive with what you're saying but I just don't, I don't know if it would see. turn out that way, even though it seems obvious to us on some level of it, yeah. it would. It, 
I, yeah. I would I do no, using exactly Steve's rationale about self-awareness and his reasoning. I would actually say I don't want to know because knowing myself, if I knew that I was going to die when I'm 89, 90 years old, uh, I would get complacent. You put things quick. off, you think? I, I, I would put. Time? Yeah. yeah, I've got plenty of time, you know. That and if I was your age, that's probably the answer I'd give. But I'm, I'm 20 years older than you. Yeah. And that's not I'm not your age. So right. I'm, I'm looking at it a little bit differently now. See, we're going to turn this into Theology Thursday, but I I got a question about this. Mm-hmm. The, the, there's different takes on this, but I, I mean, death is, people talk about beautiful deaths, but death is the wages of sin. It It, it is a cancer. Yep. It wasn't as it was meant to be. So I think you can have a beautiful death in terms of courageous moments, things like that, mm-hmm. how you embrace it. But in terms of that, like... When it comes, whether we know it or not, will it be terrifying no matter what, even with faith? See, this is uh, these are the questions that come to my head when you ask, yeah. do I want to know? I mean, do, so does knowing help? I will tell you this. Again, I, I can only speak for myself. I'm not really afraid of death. I'm not. Um, I'm far more afraid of wasted potential in life. I agree. I'm driven I'm by that. I'm talking about when we get there, though. A hundredfold. I agree with that. Me, I, I and think I don't know I that think, I can't answer that question because I'm not. Yeah, and but that, when it's and, there. And, but you have, you have, you have certainly put um, uh, the disclaimer on the table in this equation. No question about that. Yeah, you bet. Final question: Have you ever had an idea for a fictional story, uh, like writing a book? If so, what? I did. I had this idea in the shower once about it's nonfiction, though, man. What would happen if if the devil tasked um, one of his minions to take down American culture, and and what would it look like? And you actually buy this book in the point, fiction section, by the way. Point of order. Point of order. <laughs> point of order. Uh, all in favor of nefarious plot is nonfiction. Say aye. Aye. Uh, this is putting me in an awkward position. <laughs> if you go buy it in the fiction section. I used to use that against Dan Brown and his followers 10 years ago. Hey, I, you, you guys know you bought that book in the fiction section, right? But hey, I know what you're saying. Okay. Well, I mean, you can buy any any number of prosperity. God. You can go buy uh, You can go buy Joel Osteen in nonfiction. So there you I don't go. Really know. All right. Yeah, I've got all kinds of ideas. It's called How to Fix the uh, uh, DC Cinematic Universe. That that if I wasn't doing this and I could have any other job, it would be uh, and that would that that wasn't involved in you know culture t- cultural terraforming. If I could have directly, if I could have any other job, uh, it would be the Kevin Feige of the DC Cinematic Universe. I got all kinds of ideas. Yeah, I'm gonna do whole shows on those ideas that I have. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. I- all the time, you know, stuff that's there. This one I had a long time. My brother and I uh, separated by three years. He's younger. He's he's my best friend. Uh, v- v- ideologically the same, but I'm way more. I mean, he's he's far more passive temperamentally and things like that. So it, it I had this idea after a particular circumstance, which was kind of a confrontational. Uh, over with many friends over beers and, and so how people are he's meant to wear what I think by association and my temperament I thought the title was even it would be called brother of mine and it would somehow this scenario would be I 
I would be the the more pr prophetic out there one on things like that. But I would go, I, I would actually go mad and like off the reservation somehow. Hmm. Yet the, the somehow the principles would have to endure, and I wasn't capable of doing it. And now he would step it, have to step in and protect the ideals, even though he didn't have the the skill set to do so. Mm -hmm. So um, that. And the genesis of that is just our closenesses and brothers, and there's more of an understanding of who we are together, and that just popped into my head once. But that's kind of same thing. You just kind of life kind of grabs you. I mean, life uh, that life kind of told me that story, then I figured it out for myself. Yeah, I had that's that's interesting. That is interesting. I I, yeah. uh, I had an idea for like, and a, Satan is trending number one right now on Twitter. Sweet, yes, sign of a good day. <laughs> um, yeah, my idea was a political thriller. Uh, it was going to be written about uh, the former governor of like a place of Massachusetts who uh, whose name is Mitt, and he's actually a, a rock a rock ribbed conservative, and he wins the presidency. That's what my my political is it titled is. severely conservative. Please yes. tell me that's what it's titled. Yeah. No, it's actually uh, it's actually I never wanted to win anyway. Uh, or you could go with eat the damn chicken sandwich. You could call it that. There you go. two underway here live and on demand on blaze tv radio and podcast i am steve dace todd erzin and aaron mcintyre are here as well the number here at the blaze 888-933-93 you can also find us online via the stevedace.com inbox email us there steve at stevedace.com that's d-e-a-c-e -E. like us on facebook follow us on twitter at steve dace show and if you are thinking about, should I become a Blaze TV subscriber or I'd like to share clips with friends of mine uh, that I think would uh, dig what you guys do, youtube.com slash Steve Dace is where you can get to clips we're uploading each and every day, youtube.com slash Steve Dace. And again, that is D-E-A-C-E. Quick little reality check, though, before we get to Theology Thursday. How is that New Year's resolution to eat right and lose weight going? Chances are you could be struggling. There could, though, be a helper on the way. It's called Riduzone, developed by doctors and backed by two U.S. patents. Riduzone is the only FDA-accepted product that includes OEA. That is the naturally occurring molecule that helps you feel full faster and burns stored fat while reducing your calorie intake at the exact same time. Because Riduzone makes it easier for you now, therefore armed with that OEA, to resist the cravings and portion sizes that ruin your resolve. So get help with Riduzone, which is available exclusively on its website at riduzone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E for riduzone.com. And when you use my name, Steve, as the promo code, you're going to get an amazing offer, 65% off your first order. Massive savings. And, and they'll throw in free shipping, too. Free shipping and 65% off. What do you got to lose to give that a shot? Riduzone.com. R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, except maybe the weight. R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E. Riduzone.com. Promo code Steve. Let's get to Theology Thursday. And um, I, we're going to continue with what we started last week here in a moment. And uh, if you missed last week's uh, my wife and I are taking a, a a New Testament course at our church right now, 
And it's uh, one of those where we had to, you know, pay a, a good sum of money to take it. And you can actually get accredited, uh, you know, or college seminary credit if you decide to uh, go go back to seminary or go to seminary or going to one right now uh, because it's a college level theology class, basically, uh, New Testament 101. And um, each week in this class, we have to write a paper. And I'm going to share with you in the audience what I wrote about for that class every week, right? We had, a, I think, had some really interesting conversations about what I wrote about in, for last week uh, with the Gospel of Matthew. And this week, it'll be the Gospel of Mark. And we'll get to that here in a moment. Bef- before I do that, though, I'm, I've gotten several emails in the last couple of weeks from people who just heard about us when we filled in for, for Glenn, uh, on Glenn on the Glenn Beck Radio program r- right before New Year's. And if you're one of those new viewers or listeners, I, I want to reset for you. Or maybe you're somebody that's just never been all that interested in theology or religion talk. Um, and I was like you for many years, so I get it. But I want to reset for you with an email I received from one of our from one of our listeners why we have done this segment over the years. And um, this is from... A uh, from Frank, who's from my former home state of Michigan. And uh, Frank sent me this note the other day, and he says, I, I listened intently the other day when you expounded on your and your calling and, and why you certainly don't have, have ever felt like you have a calling to be a pastor. You are, how, you got, you are however, a very effective teacher, and you've got a multimedia pulpit and no fear about doing the work. Uh, and you kind of remind me a little bit of the wild men who preached, and he throws in names like Amos from the Old Testament. Um, and uh, and then Frank says this, you recently broke down the false doctrines of Islam. And it's, it's, the, it's the first I'd ever heard of most of this. He says, I, I had no idea that uh, Islam rejected the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um. You even talked about how when you go, when you've been to non-predominantly white churches, like predominantly black churches, and I have been to several over the years. It's been many years now, but um, I've been to several. I've preached in a, in, in a few, as a matter of fact. Uh, they'll give you immediate feedback when you're preaching. Uh, and if they feel like something is clearly wrong, they will speak up right there. And they will. I've, I've, I've had to explain myself mid-sermon before, so I, I, can, I can testify to that. Since those two podcasts... I was enduring at my parish a coexist homily in the Saginaw, Michigan diocese. You're nodding your head. Yes, you've heard you've heard one of these before. This is entirely believable okay. so far. All right. He's, and and Frank says I spoke with the priest afterwards, and I only wish I'd had the courage to call him out from the from the pew. I asked him, um, because. The whole the, the coexist homily was about how we should emulate Muslims as Christians. We should emulate Muslims. And I asked him, should then we reject should we reject Jesus? Should we reject the Trinity like Muslims do? Should we do that? Or how about the ones who inscribe the words um, Allah, God has no son on the ceiling of the Dome of the Rock? Should we do that? Or the ones that subjugate subjugate women, should should we do that? Or the ones that throw gay people off of roofs, should we do that? 
that was a good one for your coexist bumper sticker, by the way, or your coexist priest, because I'm guessing he's all down with the alphabet soup, right? Typically, that's how that works. There's usually a connection there. Um, um, I told him the next time he preached on Islam, it ought to be about it being a missionary field, and that we ought to pray for them, not strive to be more like them. He was not used to being challenged like this. And so we prayed for each other right there. For the average Catholic like myself, your commentary on living in this fallen world on your show is very much needed and fills a void left empty by too much of our clergy and laity. Thank you guys so much for your program. It's real. And again, that's from Frank in in Michigan. When I, when I started doing this, it used to be called Worldview Wednesday because I thought if it was just, we went flat out theological, people would shriek, you know? And, and, and also at the time, I was trying to break into national radio and I would, I would go to, you know, the, the conventions with the, with the networks and the programmers and, and they had, you know, you, you talk to people who listen to your show and I'd often run into uh, this line of conversation. Well, is your show a Christian show or is it a, uh, is it a, a conservative show? I can't really tell which it is because a lot of folks would own radio stations in both formats. And if you're on the Christian station, frankly, that usually means you're on a frequency very few people listen to on the AM or you're at the very far left or far right of the FM, a very few a, a frequency very few people ever turn to. That's just the reality of it. Um, and so I would, I would go back to the program director or the station owners when I would get that question and I would, I would reply with this question. Is it a good show? And if they said yes, then I would say, then if you think it's a good show and it will help your radio station, then... You know, I'd, I'd put it on whichever one of your stations has the largest platform to give it the biggest audience uh, potential to grow your station. That, that's what I would do. But I, I wanted to stay away from that argument and just come kind of over the top of it and transcend it. Um, is it a good show? And rather than get pigeonholed. And how I got my original start in national radio is I got a call out of the clear blue sky one day from a guy named Stu Epperson Jr., and his father, Stu Epperson Sr., is the founder and president of Salem Radio, one of the largest radio companies in America. And I, I believe it's the largest Christian media company in the world. Just called me out of the blue. I had no idea who he was. We're still friends to this day, by the way. And uh, he said, hey, we have been watching, this is what he said to me, he goes, we have been watching Glenn Beck's evolution. And so this was like in 2011. I, I, had, uh, I had just left WHO and I had a group of, as I've told this story before, a group of Christian businessmen come to me and say, hey, we kind of emulated what we have with Rush Limbaugh. We, we, have, we want to invest in what impact we think you can have with a microphone. And, but I had to go through a six month, after I agreed to go with them, I had a six month non-compete that I had to honor first. And I had no idea how to get to first base after that. So, you know, I'm sitting here waiting for my non-compete to end. And out of the blue, out of the blue, 
a guy named Stuart Person Jr. calls me on my cell phone one day and says, um, you know, introduces himself and says, hey, I've, we've been watching Glenn Beck's evolution on his show. And he's really fusing a lot of a faith element with contemporary issues. And I mean, for, you know, for a Christian company, arguably the largest in the world that, you know, we've kind of always done this thing where we have conservative stations and Christian stations, conservative books and Christian books, conservative talk and Christian talk. Can it possibly be fused that we don't have to make that choice? Because a lot of the things we're discussing and the issues we're going about this, this in this era really are about from a spiritual presence or, or premise. And a, a couple of mutual friends that you don't know you have um, suggested to me when, when this conversation came up that I needed to listen to you. And I went back and I listened to some of your stuff, Stu, Stu Jr. said, and I, I, I couldn't tell if this was a conservative show or a Christian show. And that's why I'm calling you because I think you might be somebody that can do this. That's, that's how I got started. But I thought if we went full bore theology, it, it would pigeonhole us again, and I was afraid of that. So we used to call it Worldview Wednesday. But but as Worldview Wednesday went on and on and on for several years on the show, we we it required us to go deeper and deeper and deeper into these things because otherwise we're going over the we're doing the same conversation, having the same you know discussion every single time. And if you go to the source of of worldview conversations and debates, theology is at their source of every single one of them. I mean, it, it, it's, it's the observation that Dr. James Dobson once made that there's really only two worldviews in the world. God is or he isn't. Those are really the only two worldviews. And it's from those two worldviews that stem all of the other ideologies that are contending for our hearts, minds, and attentions in, in this day and age. And so in the last couple of years here, we've just decided to go full bore, explicitly now, theological. And it's emails like Frank's that are the reason why we're doing this. Because what we are up against in the arena of ideas is not a political ideology. Leftism is not a political ideology. Progressivism is not a political ideology. Whenever a political ideology has as its goal a utopian outcome whenever that's an absolute I just stated whenever whenever a political ideology has has aspirational notions meaning that we make believing this makes people better Believing this makes people righteous. Whenever a political ideology says, has, a, has utopian goals as an endgame, it is not a political ideology, no matter what it calls itself. It's a religion. And that's what leftism and that's what progressivism is. Re- it's religion. It is the primary religion contending with a biblical worldview. The, that's the, the, the 
Judeo-Christian laws of nature and nature's God that our founding, our, our founding document, the Declaration of Independence talks about. That's what I mean by, that's who it's contending with. It is, it's, it's our primary competition. Now, it's not our sole competition, but it is our primary. If we lose this game, now, what's the difference? Let me use a football analogy because they're my favorite. So I'm a Michigan fan. We keep losing 15 years in a row. Our primary game. Now, do we only have a one-game season? Is Ohio State the only game we have? No. It's not even the only important game we have. Michigan State's a big rival. Notre Dame, when they're on the schedule, that's a big rival. A lot of other teams look at us as a big rival because we're a big name. Like it's a big deal when we go play Wisconsin, for example, or Iowa, okay? So I hate losing to those teams, but, it's, but I know if I lose to Iowa, I'm going to hear it from Aaron and all my Iowa friends for a couple of days. But it doesn't have the 365-day sting that losing to Ohio State does. And, it, and if I lose, when we lose to Ohio State, it almost makes beating Iowa, Wisconsin, not that those aren't great teams, some years they're better than we are. But it, if we beat those teams and then turn around and lose to Ohio State, it almost makes it look like those wins are meaningless because we failed our prime directive. On the other hand, if we lose those games and win that game at the end of the year, kind of feels like we had a good season. That's what progressivism is and leftism is. To us, from a worldview, spiritual, religious standpoint in America. It is not our only opponent. Mass vestiges of Islam are also our opponents, for example. It's not our only opponent, but it's the primary one. If we lose this one, We lose. Can't lose to your primary opponent. That's where coaches with 80% win percentages like John Cooper but can't beat Michigan get fired. Kept failing at your, at your prime directive. We have to win this one. We have to. It doesn't mean if we win it, all the other battles and fights are done and we don't have to wage those. It just means we won't get to those if we lose this one. Because here's the other thing too is this particular religion is a fusion. It doesn't believe in the separation of church and state. It it believes in the separation of your church from their state. That's what it believes in. Let me say that again. It doesn't believe in the separation of church and state. It believes in the separation of your church from their state. That's what it believes. But when it comes to their church and the state, they're perfectly fine fusing them. In fact, they're one and the same. The education system is their youth ministry. It's why they will fight, scratch, claw, scream to do whatever it takes to maintain control of it. They don't have as many children as we do. They don't have churches like we do. They don't have the infrastructure that we do. So the, the education, the educrat state That's the youth ministry. That's how they renew themselves. Pass on their legacy. The state is to take the place of the church. The state is to be now, pardon me, the primary vehicle by which you are taught ethics and morality. 
the moral framework that will define you to most others as a person. The state is to teach that to you, to disciple that to you, not your church. And then government is God. Government is the ultimate power. It is the ultimate authority. And you are not permitted to disobey it. Government is sovereign. I just laid out for you its own ecclesiastical structure. It's governing body, it's college of cardinals, it's denominational um, elder board, whatever you know you want to call it. In your particular Christian tradition, that is the state. That's its ecclesiastical authority. And its youth ministry is your subsidized government education system. That's what you're up against. And it will use its full, the full coercive power of all of those institutions to indoctrinate, inculcate, and enforce its will. Because like any true religion, it ultimately believes in the supremacy of its belief system. That it really is the one truth. Any religious system that doesn't believe it's really the ultimate source of truth is not really worthy of belonging to, first of all. Otherwise, what is the point? Join the Lions Club or, you know, the United Way instead. Give them money. So then the real debate becomes which one is. Which one really is the ultimate authority? Which one is right? If you lose to this one, though, Now, I would not have the same answer if we were believers in Yemen or believers in Lebanon or Syria. I'd have a different answer. Because in those cultures, vestiges of Islam are fused with the state to overcome us. That's not the case, though, in this culture. Leftism and progressivism is. And it absolutely, by any means necessary... It'll use, it's, it has, it, 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 it's got its own church bulletin. It's called the media. It will use any amount. TMZs like the church gossip. It will use any amount of skullduggery, dishonesty, any, by any means necessary. Any means. And that's what we're up against. Right now, it's giving you some level of conscientious objector status. But note now that it's fighting your ability to even have that. It's taking the jizya off the table now. Used to be, yeah, yeah you Christians and you, know, you folks can have your own way, sure. We'll leave the nuns alone. Looks bad picking on them. Now it's open war on the nuns. They don't care. The jizya, you can't pay it anymore. It's join us or die. That's what it is. And the offer on the table now is, we will slit your throat or you will do it for us. Which do you prefer? That's their terms. Klingons don't take prisoners. And this also ties into what I said last hour about the Mitt Romneys of the world. 
The job of a shepherd is to protect the sheep. And if you quote the great movie American Sniper, there's three kinds of people in this world. There's sheep, there's sheep, there's wolves, and then there's sheepdogs. And the sheepdogs protect the sheep from the wolves. When you let a wolf into the sheep's pen, it is going to devour the sheep. It's its nature. We have let too many people into the sheep's pen. Now I'm going to make this very practical now. I'm going to take this from a theological level to a baseline political application level. Same principle, just a political application. We have too many men and women in our political sheep pen, like the priest Frank in Michigan is describing. Too many. As St. Augustine once said, there are many sheep without, but many wolves within. We have too many. We don't have a big tent. I'm talking people that don't fundamentally agree with us on the most important questions of life. If you think you're going to save America from leftism and progressivism with someone who thinks the Chevron doctrine is more important than whether or not we kill unborn children, you are deceiving yourself and wasting your time. Find another pursuit. Do something else. Get out of this realm. You're not a bad person. You just don't have what it takes. Serve somewhere else. Mitt Romney's not an isolated case. I promise you. Those senators, most of them up there, oh, I'm going to preach now. Should I tell them? Oh, yeah, I'm going to tell you. I promise you. Far more of those 52 senators that voted to equip Donald Trump yesterday, like Mitt Romney, and emulate him, than like you. I promise that's true. And if this is the, if, if, you know, the questionnaire and asked earlier, would I want to know if this was the end? If today is my last day on earth, and if you don't remember anything I've said today on this very final day, remember that. Run and tell that, homeboy. Far more of those 52 U.S. senators that voted to acquit Donald Trump yesterday. Far more of them. Maybe all but five. Love them some Mitt Romney far more than they like the likes of us. And this is our own fault. Mitt Romney should have been laughed off the national stage in 2007 when he tried to run with that record. Instead, National Review put him on their damn cover as the next Reagan. And quote-unquote Christian leaders lined up to endorse him. When he tried to run again, we should have pulled out all the stops to say, hell no. Hell no. You're in the wrong party, brah. But we didn't. And now you've now he's got one of only 100 jobs in the world. And a platform where he's now being feted, promoted, and beatified 
by the very belief system trying to end what's left of ours. And he would have none of that stature if it wasn't for us. There are many sheep without, many wolves within, many wolves within. I promise you many of those people yesterday or Monday night or Tuesday night at the State of the Union, I promise you many of them that jumped up to clap at President Trump's accomplishments that he listed off, I promise you. If those progressives had not absolutely cluster blanked this entire process 75 times before we even got to that vote, they'd have gotten rid of the guy you elected president faster than you can say Pontius Pilate, man. I promise you. I promise you. At some point, we have to learn this lesson. You cannot align with people who don't agree with you and viscerally disdain you. You cannot. There are many sheep without, many wolves within, many. Mitt Romney is not an outlier. He is legion. Pardon the pun. And the question now is, how many more of such people? Because they got on Fox News tonight or the cover of NRO or they bought off blank fake Christian leader. How many more of these will we permit? If you want to know, know, the president asked a really key question, and I'll say this too to the president. Why did you endorse this guy for a Senate race? They had a primary. Could have put the full weight of the White House behind it. You didn't. The reason Democrats don't have these situations is they don't permit these people in their midst. We do. And we not only permit them, we promote them. And that's why we need Theology Thursday. Because the same instinct that has us go to a coexist homily in our own churches are the same instinct that is allowing the Mitt Romneys of the world into the sheep's pen. More in a moment. Deborah's home was stolen, and I'm not talking about like the stuff in her home, the actual home itself. And the FBI calls this home title theft. It is one of the fastest growing white collar crimes. And this story is why we protect our home with home title lock. And Deborah says you should do it as well because the criminals found the title to her home online. And then they filed fraudulent documents claiming they owned it instead. And it gets even worse for Deborah. She was evicted from her own home, lost 85 grand in equity. How many Americans? That's their savings account, their emergency fund, their retirement. Uh, Todd's future, I've got four weddings to pay for fund, right? Matt, 
that, that home equity, it's the most important investment most Americans are ever going to make. So protect it with Home Title Lock. First things first, though, go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim and don't even know it yet. And then sign up to help protect the legal title to your home so that you don't end up like poor Deborah. And to get you started, we've got 60 risk-free days of protection. So you can go to HomeTitleLock.com right now, HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Get 60 risk-free days of protection today at HomeTitleLock.com. So let's continue with Theology Thursday. And the, the paper that I wrote for our New Testament class, my wife and I are taking, uh, is on the Gospel of Mark. And this was another class where I decided that I took the question that gave me the option of selecting any person, event, um, uh, that spoke to me as I studied and, and read through it. And I did so because I, I saw a trend emerge through this gospel that I think speaks to a weakness in my own walk. And I, I think it is for those of us that are sincere theistic Americans, regardless of where we're at on the political on the political chart right now. For those of us who, who view ourselves as, as theistic, we believe in God. I, I think this is the greatest struggle I see as a cultural, as a guy whose profession is I observe and comment on culture for a living. This is the number one issue I think I see we have, and, and I struggle with this as well. And that trend is this, that we seek out God as the fulfillment and or validation of our own self-righteous will and identity. Let me say that again, that, that we seek out God as the fulfillment and validation of our own self-righteous will and identity. Let me give you some examples. Um, Actually, this is in the Gospel of Luke. I take that back. Matthew and Mark were together in our first assignment, so I apologize. This is out of the Gospel of Luke, was the second assignment we had. So in Luke 9, an argument breaks out among the disciples. They are debating amongst uh, Jesus' disciples who's going to be the greatest among them. I, I, I think that's an example of when you allow being chosen by God to make you arrogant instead of humble. And I think you see that mistake made throughout what Christians call the Old Testament as well with the nation of Israel, that throughout its history, it conflated being special with being chosen, that it, that it viewed itself at times when it walked in faith, it, it understood that because it's chosen, Israel is special. And then at times when it descended into self-righteousness, it believed the opposite. We're special. So we were chosen. You see this in the way the people react and rebel against the prophet Jeremiah. Well, we have these relics. We have a birthright. God would never judge us. They're convinced in their self-righteousness it will never happen because they're the lesser of two evils to all these pagan countries that surround them. And then one day, the most formidable of those pagan countries, Babylon, led by the great conqueror Nebuchadnezzar, comes over, those, comes over the hill and takes siege to Jerusalem. And they're confronted with, oh, uh, God holds our sin accountable too. 
I think we are struggling with this as Americans. Is America exceptional? And that's why it's good. Or is America good? And that's what makes it exceptional. Which is it? We're struggling with this. This idea that it's just automatic. That it's a birthright. It's a legacy. That's why I'm not a nationalist. I might agree with those of you that call yourselves this on several issues, particularly when it comes to sovereignty. But I think the origin of our sovereignty doesn't come from we've got a big bad military and we claim these borders sucks to be you. Now, I, I, I think it comes from we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created, therefore there's a creator, equal, endowed by their creator, with certain inalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's, that's where I think our sovereignty comes from. In Luke 10, you have the two sisters, Mary and Martha. Martha demands Jesus command her sister to help her serve the guests in the home, including Jesus himself. She has a dead brother Christ has come to raise to life. This is Lazarus. Yet her primary concern is what amounts to a honeydew list as well as her frustration that she's doing more work than was her sister. Jesus, make it fair. This is unfair. My circumstances are unfair. Make it right. With all due respect to your circumstances, something a lot bigger is going on here right now and is about to go down. In Luke 11, a woman in the crowd says, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the one that nursed you. Now, I can't help but wonder if, if this woman herself is a mother or a grandmother. It's almost projection, almost as if she is saying, It must have been a great woman who passed on to you all of this wisdom you're sharing with us. And I think that's why Jesus replies, Rather blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And that's, I think, almost Jesus like saying, Hey, man, I love my mama. But the wisdom you're hearing didn't come from mere maternal, um, mortal tradition passed down by sage mamas through the ages. I think he is saying that um, this is, ma'am, with all due respect, this is the eternal word of God. Period. In Luke 12, someone from the crowd says to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I think this is a man that recognizes Jesus' messianic anointing, that he has power and authority. But he wants it utilized for his purposes. He, he's, he's probably even being treated unfairly in this circumstance. But once more, this, this starts from the premise that God is here to fulfill our will rather than we are here for his that I can mold, bend, shape God into my circumstances. And that he's here to make them right, to make them fair, to make them just. You know, you want to know where you saw a good example of this is if you watch the overtime video we did from the Iowa caucuses the other night, where two women, one elderly, one young, are both go to the caucus site. Both of them are Pete Buttigieg supporters. And the elderly woman finds out there at the caucus site that he's gay. And she's like, I, I can't vote a homosexual for president. That's an abomination according to the word of God. I can't do that. 
And the young millennial woman sits there and, and you know, to her credit, very respectfully attempts to convince her to stay in the fold. And the argument they have going back and forth is fascinating because it's one form of self-righteousness versus another. Yep. So, I mean, the elderly woman was totally fine with all of Pete Buttigieg's other unbiblical stances. But when she found out that he's really serious about those unbiblical stances by living an open homosexual lifestyle, that was just a bridge too far that she just, I mean, I, I can't. And then the millennial woman responds with, well, I know that's what the word of God says, but here's what Mayor Pete says. <laughs> that's literally what she says in the video. Literally what she says. And but Pete says this. Babel debates Babel. My legalistic self-righteousness debates your open false teaching, your open deception. You know what? That's a replay of Genesis 3. It's a replay of that. Serpent says to, says to Eve, did God really say? Eve responds with, well, I mean, God said, don't touch the fruit. That's, that's actually not what God said. Didn't say anything about touching the fruit. God didn't say you couldn't play hacky sack with the fruit. Didn't say, just said, don't eat it. That was, why, why, why the need to add to what God said? That's not what he said. Just don't eat the fruit. But once Eve responds with her own spin on things, her own take on things, and of course, she's the one responding alone because Adam's over there doing who knows what. I got my law degree from Costco. <sighs> Thankfully, my dad's an alum and pulled some strings. I mean, Adam's over there going idiocracy, full-blown idiocracy thousands of years before the movie was actually made. And Eve's just debating her own intuition against the devil. Good luck. That's kind of what went on at the Iowa caucuses in that clip the other night. It's my self-righteous spin on things. But, and then the other person's like, well, well I'm just going to be openly deceptive, but nice about it and crafty. Each of the examples that um, we're talking about are what we call theological reductionism. Uh, in fact, our good friend uh, D.C. McAllister introduced this term to our lexicon a few weeks ago on one of our Day Group roundtables. She used this term. It is the idea of reducing God to the, in this case, these are examples of reducing God to the God of our circumstances. And I think this, the, these, the hardest moments of all to avoid this temptation is, I think, when there's clearly some justification from our perspective. Clearly there is. God, why won't you heal me? Why won't you heal my loved one? I remember when I was eight years old, my first dog, a cocker spaniel named Roscoe, named after Roscoe Pico Train on the great Dukes of Hazard. We lived uh, in a, in a cul-de-sac in here in Des Moines, on the south side of Des Moines. I was in the second grade at Howe Elementary, and I loved that dog. And it was a dead-end cul-de-sac, so we just let, you know, Roscoe roam the neighborhood. And my friends knew the dog, and he hung out with us. And I went inside, we were playing, you know, baseball or something. And I went inside to get a drink. And frantic knock on the door. I hear some tires squeal out, outside the house. And a frantic knock on the door. 
And my mom answers the door. And one of my friends says, something's wrong with Roscoe. I go to take off. My mom and uh, my dad hold me, just say, hey, wait here. We'll go check it out. And somebody had run him over and killed him. And they didn't want me to see it because he was just destroyed. Because they weren't sure what they ran over either. So they backed up again over him and then ran over my poor puppy a third time. So the first time they hit him, then they backed up and then they drove off. And I remember being devastated, man, at eight years old. God, if you exist, why would this happen to my dog? What did he ever do? Humanly, you can see the justification in those situations, right? So this is where it, it doesn't always have to be sinister. The conversation that was going on between the two Buttigieg supporters in that clip from the other night, nothing righteous is going to come out of that because they're both beginning from a self-righteous standpoint. But what happens when we aren't necessarily intending to come from a self-righteous standpoint, but from one that seems perfectly justifiable? God, you said it was not good for a man to be alone. I'm trying to find a wife and I can't. God, I know you told me that that I felt convicted that this is a man I'm supposed to marry and he left me and our babies behind. What am I supposed to do? Where are you? I think these are the really difficult times where we have to avoid the temptation of reducing God to the God of our circumstances. And I think that we have to, this is where the, you know, I, this is why Romans 8 is my favorite portion of the scriptures, particularly verse 28. All things work together for the glory of God and for those called according to his purposes. I can look back now on some of the darkest moments of my abusive childhood, convinced there cannot be a God, there cannot be a plan as I'm listening to my mom get wailed on upstairs on Royal Oak Street in Wyoming, Michigan, as I'm hiding out like a, as a teenage boy down in the basement where on one hand, instinctively, I think I should go and defend my mom. I have this like masculine compulsion to go and do something. And then on the other hand, I am scared to death that Dave's going to beat me next. So I just freeze, put my headphones on and hide. I don't know what else to do. I'm like, there's just no way a, a God would allow th- things like this in the world. But I also don't know the whole picture. I, I didn't know what little Steve Dace, 14, 15-year-old Steve Dace on Royal Oak Street in Wyoming, Michigan. I didn't know what he was going to do at 46 years old on one of the largest platforms in America. I didn't know that. I didn't know. I, I didn't know how those traumas and moments God was going to redeem and, and use to prepare me for what he was going to call me and provide me the platform to do. I started this Theology Thursday with the story that I got into national media because the son of the founder and chairman of the largest Christian media company in the world called me out of the blue one day. I had no idea who he was, how he got my number. Just called me out of the blue. That's not a plan. That's mine. That's just providence. That's calling. 
And it's been a series of random coincidences that weren't random nor coincidence that put me here. And I can now see and look back on those moments. They made me tougher. They gave me the ability to stand up for what I'm confident is right when even people I care greatly about are against me. To be willing to go against the grain, to be contrarian, when all the pressure says not to do that. If I'd have grown up in a really good home with a good dad, I don't know I'd be a stubborn enough old cuss to have done what I've done the last few years, right or wrong. But now I can see. I can see what that means. All things work together Not for the glory of us. It doesn't mean that our circumstances are going to turn out the way we want them to all the time. But in the end, if there's a God and we love him and he has demonstrated enough, particularly through Christ, that he loves us, then we trust that ultimately there was a meaning and purpose to this suffering. That it will be redeemed somehow. And there will be a moment that we'll be able to say, you know, if if I didn't go through that, that had not happened. I wouldn't have seen this. If Lazarus had not died, they'd have never seen his resurrection. Any final thoughts, gentlemen? Well, if you want to have a a shot at appreciating what Steve said sooner rather than later in your prayer life. There's prayers of petition, asking God for something. There's prayers of forgiveness, apologizing, saying you're sorry. There's prayers of thanks. Hey, thanks for get solid. But, and you should submit all those and regularly, but you are intimately involved in all of those, which is how you can get selfish. You, in order to understand what Steve's talking about as much as anything else, it simply must be removing yourself and be prayers of worship. God, you are you, and I am not, and it is marvelous before my eyes. And therefore, when the hard times come, because your prayers of worship are so prevalent in your life, it will be in his hands, and you will be able to deal. That's very well said. No offense, Aaron, but that's a great way to end it. Aaron gave you the thumbs up. We're going to stick around and do some overtime for our Blaze TV subscribers, blazetv.com slash dace, if you would like to become one. If you are one, just wait. It'll be posted there for you later today. For the rest of you, back at it again tomorrow right here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network. Oh, 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 oh,